Yes, sir. We're back with another one, another episode of the Court in the Field podcast. Back with my co-host, Sean Flannery. And you guys, this is a great one. You guys are going to enjoy this one. But before any of that, how you doing, Sean? I'm good. You know, I, I mean, we just recorded the episode with, with John. And, um, you know, as a, a broadcaster, a guy who just listened to his voice, you know, that's kind of all I wanted to do while he was talking because not only did he does he sound great when he's talking, but you know he had great things to say. Um, talked about his come up, um, how he got to where he is now, and you know he has a bright future being so young. Um, talks a little Browns, talks some Big East, uh, a lot about himself. But you know it was it was a lot of fun. I thought we could you know kept that going for about five more hours easily. Oh, hundred percent. It was definitely one of the more entertaining episodes that we've recorded thus far. Um, him being a Cleveland native, I can feel the passion coming. And I wanted to lace him up one last time just listening to him talk. But we're going to save all of that for the episode itself. So you'll be hearing shortly from him after this commercial break. We have on the show today John Fanta, college sports play-by-play announcer for the Big East, also the host of the Big East Shootaround. How are you doing today? I am doing great. CJ and Sean, thank you very much for having me. Love the show. Uh, revved up because the calendar is about to turn to September, guys. And that means that the fall is about to hit. That means we're getting close. It means we get to football first. We all love our football. That means then we get closer to basketball, which is my favorite time of year. So I'm doing tremendous, guys. Hope you had a good summer. I did. I did. It flew kind of flew by kind of fast, though. But, I mean, it is what it is. As you said, fall is my year because I love football. And, obviously, when fall comes around, that means basketball is coming soon. So, I can't wait for it. It's going to be an exciting year, exciting year of sports. Um, with an exciting year with you calling it. Uh, starting, I just want to start off with where you are present day. Uh, what's going on with your life at the moment? Well, what's going on with my life at the moment? I'm in New Jersey. Um, so I am originally from the west side of Cleveland. Westlake, Ohio represents St. Bernadette Bulldogs represent. Sean knows. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Go Bulldogs. So, yeah, so I'm a New Jersey transplant, I guess. Uh, now in now in Jersey, that's where I live now full time, and uh, I call Hoboken home, the home of the great Frank Sinatra. And so uh, it's been great to to really get my career started near New York City. You know, I I wanted to go to college, guys, near New York, and I went to college at Seton Hall University in South Orange, New Jersey. Little South Orange, New Jersey, still uh, has a Big East school, and. I, I always grew up watching the Big East tournament and thought, man, that's cool. Madison Square Garden, these kids must be living out a dream right ahead of March Madness. It's got to be awesome. Well, then when I got to Seton Hall, I got to see the dream in person, and, and I realized, man, this, this is what I want to do. You know, this, this, is, this is what I would like to do uh, here as I get started with my career. And it was the best thing that could have happened because um, covering Big East basketball when I was a student back in – 2013, 14, 15, 16, then graduating in 2017, that's, I decided to stay out in New Jersey, and that's where I've been ever since, and um, just coming off a little vacation, went out to Arizona last week, uh, had never been to Scottsdale, absolutely beautiful, and now turning the calendar over, getting ready for some college football this fall, um, and then I do some soccer, some volleyball, different college sports, amping up to college basketball for Fox Sports, and I'm really excited to to start my fourth year in their college basketball play-by-play rotation. Um, really looking forward to it. But uh, it all starts now for me. Uh, love Cleveland. 
But uh, now for me being in Jersey, uh, it's been great to get situated here and uh, to start out my career. Absolutely. Now you do it all. And uh, we're excited to listen to you um, this upcoming seasons. But how did you, when, when or how did you get into journalism and broadcasting? When did this kind of click on for you and you realize this is what I want to do in my life? Well, I realized what I didn't want to do, or, or more importantly, what I wasn't good at. What I wasn't good at was what I wasn't good at was playing left guard. I mean, I was a horrible left guard. You know, I I couldn't block. You know what? If I tried, seriously. I mean, absolutely atrocious on all levels. All right, enough of that. Um, I I quickly discovered after my sophomore year of high school football at St. Ignatius High School, um, I got called in by the head coach of the varsity program and his name's Chuck Kyle. He's still there. And uh, coach Kyle called me in. It was our, it was our after season meeting, our sit down meeting. That meeting went about two and a half minutes. And the gist of the meeting was, you know, this football thing might not really be for you on the field, but that broadcast thing might work out for you. Well, I walked out of the meeting and I felt like crap because I was just like, <laughs> a coach just basically told me you can continue to be on the team, but, you know, we don't have a role for you that goes beyond going across the street to Wendy's, which is directly across the street from Ignatius to grab some burgers. So I quickly pivoted. I said, I'm just going to broadcast. I'm going to broadcast everything I can and, and do as much as I can. And that's kind of how it started. And I got to the spring of my sophomore year. And that's when the, the lead varsity football play-by-play job opened up. And I was doing like baseball guys. I was doing lacrosse, doing sports I didn't even know. I was going behind the scenes, being a cameraman. I was just trying to grind. You guys know that grind. I was just trying to do whatever I could. And um, I, I went for the varsity football play-by-play job. I got that role, ended up calling a state championship season. And that's kind of how it got going for me was in high school. I realized this is my passion. This is what I want to do. And I, I, I love more than anything, and you guys both know this, not just calling the games, but the shoot-arounds, the practices, um, covering in Cleveland, Ignatius Eds, you know, Sean, talking to your dad and, and other people around high school hoops in Northeast Ohio. Um, and and that, that just got me so inspired to be like, man, I think I could do this in college. And then I got to Seton Hall, ended up covering Big East basketball and Big East sports, and Loved it. Loved, loved uh, everything about it. And, but that's what really inspired my love was I grew up loving it always. You know, you grow up in Cleveland, you're a Browns, Indians, and Cavs fan. You eat, breathe, sleep, die, everything, Cleveland sports. So that inspired my love to get on the air. But then in high school, really starting to take off where I, I felt like, yeah, this is what I want to do with my life. And that's, that's how I kind of stand here today is just – I was willing in high school to do whatever it took. If they needed someone to run a camera, if they needed somebody to, to haul a, a cord down a, a wall in Sullivan Gym or wherever, you know, I just hauled ass and figured out a way to, to, to do it because that's what you do at that stage of the game. So I always loved it, but that's how it really got rolling was in high school and then kind of translating it to college and just, just saying, hey, say yes to every opportunity that's asked of me, no matter what it is. Wow. That's a, I love that story. And I love the, the humble beginnings that you uh, just explained, but 
you you kind of piqued my interest at something talking about Seton Hall. I had a classmate this past year, Matt Majenski. He's also a writer for oh, the. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, for sure. And he also went to Seton Hall. And boy, do I tell you, he loves Seton Hall, right? So I guess that's a two part question. One, why Seton Hall? There's a bunch of schools around the tri-state area, New York City area that you said that you wanted to be near. And then also, what about Seton Hall made you love it so much? Yeah, why Seton Hall? What I thought was really interesting was Seton Hall's undergrad enrollment, guys, was hovering around 5,000. I mean, it's not that much more. It's not much that much less. Everybody knows everybody on the campus. And that, that meant a lot to me because there were people on the campus that were willing to help me out. And um, I knew at Seton Hall that I could get on the air immediately. And uh, I really, really thought that that was important. I didn't want to wait until I was a junior to get on the air at my college. Now, now let me tell you, there's a lot of great universities out there. So for me, I mean, I looked at Fordham. I looked at Syracuse, was close to getting to those schools and got accepted. I just, I just was, I don't know, pushed overnight to Seton Hall University. And that's what really led me there was the people. Um, the people make the difference at Seton Hall. People that were willing to give me opportunities. And the fact that you can enter into a large media market, cover Big East basketball, which speaks for itself, and get some attention really get some attention. And um, you, you asked me what made me love Seton Hall. Well, what made me love Seton Hall was two things in particular. Number one, they were willing to open the door for me. Uh, they didn't look at this kid from Cleveland who's got the glasses. At the time, uh, I didn't have the voice I have now. They didn't look at this kid and say, uh, you know, he's, he's a long way away. They said, hey, let's give him a shot. Let's give him a shot. And I'll, I'll tell you guys, in my freshman year, I had not covered the men's basketball team throughout the season. I had covered soccer. I had covered volleyball. I had covered swimming. But I was only a freshman in college. They didn't want me – they didn't want to throw me into the men's basketball mix. They thought that took another level. Totally understood and thought at some point it will happen. But the men's basketball team was not very good. They, they are in the Big East tournament, and the PR guy uh, for Seton Hall, who runs the, the digital network that streams on the, on the athletics page, he says to me, he emails me and says, hey, I'd like you to report on the team this week, on camera, do on-camera reports from Madison Square Garden, whatever, you know, you can do out there. Um, and you know what? When he emailed me, I think he felt, hey, this will be a nice reward. Seton Hall's going to lose – in their first or second game, they're not going to go far. Well, I end up reporting on the team. They beat Butler by a point in the first round. Uh, a, you know, not a really good matchup. The two teams were eight and nine seeds in a 10-team field. The next day, tw this is 2014, Seton Hall's playing Villanova. Villanova's number one seed. Sterling Gibbs hits this step-back 17-foot jumper to shock Villanova at the buzzer. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm the lead reporter for Seton Hall. My post-game recap video gets 30,000 views that night. And I have Andy Katz, at the time at ESPN, walking up to me inside the Madison Square Garden press room and saying, I don't know anything about this Seton Hall team. Tell me everything you know about them. And that's kind of the first moment. I'm like 18 years old where I'm thinking, man, I, I guess I belong. And that made me love. 
Seton Hall was they were willing to open doors for me. And then sometimes in this business, you got to get a little bit of luck on your side. There's a higher power. And I was able to – Seton Hall, if they lose to Villanova by 20, those national reporters aren't coming up to me. All of a sudden, they're asking me about Seton Hall. I'm telling them I'm shaking those hands. And two weeks later, at the NCAA tournament, Andy Katz is in the same press room with me at the NCAA tournament because Madison Square Garden hosted the tournament. He comes up to me and says, hey, kid, I was 18. He goes, I've got my iPad. And um, I got to film an interview with Tom Izzo. Do you mind coming with me and filming it? Now, again, I'm an 18-year-old kid. I film Andy, but then I shake Tom Izzo's hand. Tom Izzo's now been on my podcast multiple times. Like, that's how this world works. You never know. Once I was holding an iPad, next minute I'm doing an interview that's, that's getting a couple thousand hits. And it's just, that's kind of how it started and, it, and has formed. All right, so, John, from Seton Hall, you go into the Big East, um, into their network. How did that process go about? How did that come up? I mean, obviously, Seton Hall being in the Big East, um, you start off real young as a freshman and, you know, kind of work your way up the ladder. But, you know, getting the foot in the door with the Big East and then now with Fox, how did that process come about? How did that go? How did that go? So two stories on that, guys. Number one. I am at the Big East tournament my freshman year. We just got done talking about it. And when Seton Hall makes the Big East semifinals, before they face Providence, one of the top senior officials at the Big East conference and the head of broadcasting at the Big East, a guy named Rick Gentile. Rick has produced multiple Olympics for CBS Sports. He's a legend in broadcasting. Rick notices me courtside at the garden doing a pregame report and Rick and I had met once before um, during a during the women's basketball season Rick unbeknownst to me talks to Bill Raftery college basketball broadcasting legend and sends Bill Raftery over to me and Bill Raftery says that guy over there says I need to talk to you for an interview so I interview Raft the interview comes out great in that moment, Rick's watching me. A couple months later, Rick emails me and says, we would love for you to come to our offices in New York uh, this week. We'd love to talk with you uh, about potential broadcasting or writing opportunities. Well, I was chomping at the bit. Um, I took a train into New York City, and I'm looking up in Times Square at this skyscraper building that the Big East was in at the time and thinking, uh, somebody pinched me because I'm about to walk in and, and have a meeting with these guys about potential roles. And that's how it started with them. They said, can you start writing for our website? Can you do on-camera hits? I was doing sports like cross-country and um, baseball and swimming and tennis and track. Again, I wasn't doing a ton of men's basketball stuff. But then as time went on, I got more and more experience. Now, for Fox Sports, it's a different story. So you said it, Sean, with Seton Hall being in the Big East, the Big East television partner is Fox Sports. All the Big East games are, are on FS1 with, a, uh, with only a few that are subcontracted, a sublease with CBS Sports here and there. But most of the games are on Fox Sports because Fox Sports owns the right deal, rights deals. Uh, so... I end up getting connected with a Seton Hall alum, 
who works at Fox Sports. And Fox Sports has an internship opportunity, a behind-the-scenes internship opportunity to get Frank Thomas and David Ortiz and Kevin Burkhart coffee and talk with them and hand them highlights. It was during the summer. So that's when baseball season's going on, baseball and soccer. And uh, I took the opportunity. I took the internship opportunity. Fox Sports Studio is in Los Angeles. So now I'm heading from New Jersey to L.A. They're not paying for me to live out there. I had to figure it all out right, somehow, some way. Okay, so what do I do? Airbnb was fairly new, uh, at least to our generation. Like, we were just getting into it. So I find an Airbnb for 700 a month, which in L.A., is, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Well, hold on. <laughs> now, hold on, CJ. Now, I thought to myself, all right, I'm going to have my own room. It was one of those things where, like, private room, you know. I walk into the room. There's a 60-year-old man from Africa inside the room at the opposite bed. <laughs> oh, you had no idea about that. You had no idea. I had no idea. This guy's in his underwear. <laughs> um, you know, God only knows what he was doing. But oh, I, I sat down. His name was George. I shook his hand. So I didn't realize until I got in there I was going to live a summer in, in a hostel. Mm. Now, wow. let, me, let me tell you, I would do it over again because <laughs> I spent the majority of my time at the studio interning. It was, I was always motivated to do the internship, but I was extra motivated because it was like, <laughs> I'm going to hang around the studio <laughs> for as long as I possibly can. And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> did that internship, got on Fox's radar because I had interned for them. I was one of theirs. I interned a summer out there. I said, hey, like, I really want to be a broadcast talent, but you know, let's stay in touch. Those two things kind of collide when I'm close to graduating. The Big East with, I talked with my bosses that hired me as a student. I said, they, we both kind of said, what are your thoughts on doing a men's basketball show? Kind of be in the face of men's basketball in the Big East. Then Fox notices that. They asked me to do one women's game four years ago. One women's game's one women's game turns into six men's games and six women's games the next year. The six and six turn into 10 and 10. 10 and 10 turns into 15 and 15. Like it just brick by brick kept growing to what it is now for me as someone who's uh, at the forefront of Big East basketball coverage and then with FS1 as a commentator. It all started basically with living in a hostel and taking a meeting in New York City. <laughs> That's an interesting story, man. I swear, everyone who I talk to in sports media, they have an interesting story on how they began. And I think a hostel is definitely in the top five, 100, uh, wow. But <laughs> this is a, so I have a question about the Big East. Sean's obviously coaching in, the, in that conference, and you obviously are broadcast, broadcast within that conference. However, in Syracuse, unfortunately, we were <laughs> We were in the ACC by the time uh, I got to college, so I never was able to experience uh, the Big East uh, faithful and connection. However, it's, it's apparent through TV, and I'm sure that you guys can relate to it. What makes the Big East so special? And I know that it's predominantly a basketball-only conference at this point, but what makes it so special and why is it so unique? Yeah, great question. I'm actually curious to hear what Sean has to say because he, he just went through the wildest season ever with the pandemic and – not really what it's even supposed to be, but here, here's what I could say about Big East basketball. There really is, and this, this is interesting because it comes during a day where the 
Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 form an alliance in college football and college basketball. With the Big East, there's been a lot of change. Syracuse not, not being a member anymore is one of the examples of change. But today, as the conference stands now, you have 11 like-minded schools who put basketball first, and you can feel that when you walk into their buildings. You can feel that when you play them. Basketball is the sport. It is the everything inside that campus. And there is a grit to the conference. There is a real competitive nature to the league. But there's a mutual respect between the coaches and the conference that carries. There is a camaraderie between the coaches across the Big East. But they're also, when, when you step up on that floor, you know that you're going to have 40 minutes of hell, at least. And that there's no love lost during those 40 minutes. That's what Big East basketball is. It's different styles of play. It's Creighton's high-octane offense. It's Providence's, we're going to put you in a blender, and Ed Cooley's going to talk trash, and he's going to figure out a way to be in the game and have a chance to win. It's Jay Wright's patented Villanova system. It's Xavier's consistency um, and, and what they have coming back, uh, some studs uh, that are experienced. There's just a nature to the conference. Each program has a specific personality, but one thing is certain. Basketball is the priority sport. And a game in November, seriously, feels no different from a game in March in terms of the atmosphere, in terms of the intensity you feel around it. That sounds crazy to say, but it's true because uh, I've noticed it in this conference. It's a year-round league in basketball. Whereas football comes first in a lot of conferences, that's not the case in the Big East. And as a result, the hoops is the life of the league. And there really is a toughness to this conference that you can feel. Absolutely. No, I mean, I can't answer that any better than, than John did there. And I think for me this past year was obviously during a crazy COVID year with, you know, restrictions, rules, not many fans, whatever it may be. I didn't really get to experience the entire nature of the Big East. And like hearing you talk about it, hearing, you know, obviously Coach Steele and Xavier players and past players come back and talk about the experiences they've had. Um, they always say they wish they could, you know, come back, put a Xavier jersey on, you know, but that's how it is, I'm assuming, at every school. And it's just the competitive nature between each teams, but the mutual respect that each team has for each other. Um, I'm just like, really excited uh, to get ready for a year that hopefully will bring, you know, fans and atmosphere and a lot of, and hopefully some Xavier success here and there. But um, I'm excited. And what comes to mind when you answer that question, John, is I don't know how long ago this video was, but it was a video that you did describing each team or maybe like six or seven teams off of a candy bar and and it's funny you say that though but I go back and I think I watched it a couple of days ago and it's almost like the, those candy bars and those those statements that you made or comparisons are still true to this day um, I just think that kind of goes to show a lot about like the Big East the teams the coaches the teams the programs that they have yeah I, I do too I think it's it's just the way that the the league is, and uh, I got I to gotta look back on that video now that you bring it up because I, <laughs> it's, there really is uh, a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup to, to Villanova. Um, there really is a starburst to, I want to say, St. John's is what I, I had said uh, for a team that's on the rise and looking good heading into this year. There's tradition. There really is tradition, and the, the league just has uh, this knack 
it, you could argue who the best league is in college basketball. You could absolutely argue. You could absolutely argue that the Big Ten is the best league was this past year. And and in terms of the teams that they have at the top of the country, there's an argument out there from someone who says the Big Ten might be the best league heading into this season. Somebody might argue the Big 12. Somebody might argue the ACC. Somebody would argue the Big East. A bunch of different people are going to argue different things. Here's what's different. I watch games from all over the country. Pac-12 after dark with Passion Walden to Big Ten, you name it, with Minnesota playing Indiana, whatever. The Big East is incredible in delivering tight games. It is a heart attack. Uh, Last year, Xavier plays Marquette. They're down the whole game. They beat Marquette on a game winner from Adam Kunkel. Last year, Xavier plays Providence, and Kobe Jones hits a three for his grandfather in a massive win. And then that's just two such examples that come to mind um, with the conferences. It's amazing how many down-to-the-wire finishes there are in the league. I can't even begin to describe to you guys what it's like covering the conference night after night because you truly do not know what is going to happen down the stretch in a game, and you better have a finisher. And that's what's so fun about this league is, okay, there are great conferences, but in terms of a really fun league that has real rivalries inside it and every, on any given night anything can happen outside of, you know, a Villanova playing in DePaul, there, anything can happen in this league. It, it, and it's true. It happens. Yeah, and I mean, I think it goes to show with the tournament this year with Georgetown. I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, but it's true. And, and you, you hit it right on the head there. Yeah. All right. So transitioning a little bit to a little bit more personal stuff. Um, we've all uh, played sports here. We've called sports and, you know, athletes have their favorite games or favorite moments. But as a broadcaster, you also have your favorite calls and favorite moments that you've had. Can you just take it back on your like career thus far and give me like your favorite call that you've had so far? Yes. So um, it's a great question. And I'll start with this. Um, Best moment that I've covered, done interviews before and after the games, uh, a live show, no question. 2016 National Championship game between Villanova and North Carolina and Chris Jenkins, big smooth, hits the shot from Ryan Archdiacono, a frenzy, confetti everywhere. It was a dream National Championship game, and it will always be in a class of its own for greatest games I've ever covered uh, because I, I, I do reporting – uh, for the Big East Network. In terms of play-by-play, man, this past year, um, I got a chance to to call a lot of different games, a lot of different moments. I think um, calling games that featured St. John's, they've got this kid who's going to be a sophomore who I think is going to catch a lot more eyes around the country this year, and his name is Posh Alexander. And getting a chance to really watch him blossom as a freshman was, was really, really fun this past year. And I, I think he's going to be spectacular. Uh, he, he found his teammate, Julian Champagny, who's always back. And I think I, I said a couple times, St. John's is turning Queens into Rucker Park tonight um, or playing New York City ball. Like, I, I love doing games from the Big Apple and doing games at St. John's because there's just such a hoops feel. My, one of my favorite moments that I've called I did my first year with Fox right before Christmas, right before the time when everybody's taking some time off. I'm just the young kid. I'll take whatever game I get assigned. Love it. 
Um, it was like December 22nd, and I do a game at Georgetown. Georgetown is facing Arkansas Little Rock. And uh, it was the first year without Chris Beard. Remember, Chris Beard was at Little Rock. He goes to Texas Tech. Now he's at Texas. He takes that job. Really intrigued to see what he does at Texas. Little Rock is down the entirety of the game. The entirety of the game. They have a kid named Rajon Tucker who had gone 0 for his first 7 or 8 on the day. He hit one shot the whole day, and that was a half-court heave at the buzzer to force overtime. And uh, the shot gets banked in, and I just go, Christmas comes early for Little Rock. And Georgetown, the place is silent. I'm thinking this is why, you know, this is why you sign up for this. Well, then in overtime at the time, Mac McClung for Georgetown – McClung scores like 12 straight points. He puts on a mixtape of his own. He goes crazy. I'm calling the action. I, I'm obviously into it. I love to bring energy on the air. So those are a couple of things that for Fox that I've done, uh, and it was really cool to start to get Big East games this past year. Did a couple, and um, uh, it's fun. The, I think, the, let's see, December 27th, two days after Christmas, I did DePaul at Providence, and people were probably thinking, DePaul at Providence, why am I what's, – what's the intrigue here? It ended up being a double overtime game, and uh, it was insane to call. So it's been fun to jump in here and to work with guys like, uh, man, Andy Katz, Sarah Kustak, who does a great job with the Nets, um, Tariq Turner, who was a, a good player back in his day, guys like Steve Lavin, Donnie Marshall. It's, it's been a lot of fun, and those are a couple of moments that stand out. I think that now that I've studied a little bit more when it comes to sports broadcasting and media in general, I've kind of like looked at the art of what goes into a big call, right? So how do you balance letting the moment breathe, you know, like not saying too much and just letting the action speak for itself, but then also giving your input and still doing your job as a broadcaster? It's such a great question, CJ, and something that I have to work on all the time. But the basic thing that I would say is less is always more. You don't have to try to be someone you aren't, and you don't have to try to overdo it. Describe those big moments when they happen. You don't need 20 words. Say in four or five words what you were thinking you were going to say in 20. Um, try to limit your, your word usage and try to – economize, economize the vocabulary. That's a big thing that I try to do. And I think building up to that moment, if you're talking a ton during the game and you're getting high energy with four minutes left in the first half, how are you going to be able to distinguish what the big moment is high energy wise with four minutes to go in the game when somebody hits a huge shot? You have to almost look, you have to look at the game as a story. How does the story develop? How do you build up your voice to that point? And also realizing that if Sean Flannery's at point guard and he's running one and he's coming off a high ball screen and he pulls up, every fan watching sees that. They don't need me to describe it to them when they're watching the game on TV. TV and radio are very different. So for me, I could simply say Flannery with the pull-up. Um, he got it with a nugget, accompanying nugget. You know, he's five for his first six tonight. Um, and then lay out. As a play-by-play -play guy, I have really tried to hone in on the fact that I'm not the star, okay? The analyst played the game. 
if a viewer wants to know something about basketball, they're going to find a lot more out about somebody who was on the floor playing the game than they will for me. I need to capitalize on the big moments, but in terms of the how and the why and what was the reason for that play, that's what the analyst is getting paid to do. It's my job to be a traffic cop, to build up to those big moments and also know that if there's a game winner, he got it. Then laying out with the crowd going crazy, no broadcaster has ever gotten in trouble for having a big call and then letting the crowd and the pictures you're seeing tell the story. If you talk the whole time and are yelling, you have a chance to make a viewer feel uncomfortable. So less is more. That's what I always think of. That's great stuff. I love that. I love that. And what for you maybe still is or was in the beginning for you the hardest part of broadcasting? Yeah. Um, a loaded question. It is a loaded question. The hardest part for me um, was realizing that I don't have the same voice maybe as, a, as some of the greats do. Uh, maybe that I'm different. And you realize it's okay to be different. And you also have to realize that when you get feedback, it is just feedback. One guy might love what you do. One guy might hate what you do. You guys know you played sports. The same person who says that he loves what you do with your game here. Somebody might walk into the gym and say, I don't like, I don't like that you do that. You should do this differently. You take it all in stride. Take all forms of feedback and live with it. It's feedback for a reason. It's not a mandate to change, but you can adapt. And so I think the hardest part for me then and, and even today is just working on myself and realizing that there's only one me. There's only one John Fanta. And I've got to try to be that the best I can be when I, when I go out there. Um, and do I have the mainstream voice? Do I even have the mainstream look? No, I, I look different on camera than your same old play-by-play guy. I embrace that. I think it's great. But it's taken time to get to that point. And then I think, guys, it's just, you know, this in sports, sacrifices have to be made. And you have to realize that there's going to be things, there's going to be times, events, family things, priorities. you got to figure out your priorities. That's a process. And that's something that sometimes affects us more than any game that we do. So it's been figuring that out in life and, and kind of how you manage through that, that, that have been the challenges um, that I've tried to maneuver through here throughout these last couple of years. Well, I love to hear that, just the, the intricacies of what goes into broadcasting. For but sure. Though, the number one thing that I realized my first couple of weeks on campus at Syracuse, well, not on campus, I'll take that back, my first couple of weeks into my master's, which is sports broadcasting, was how hard prep is, especially for play-by-play. -play. I think that we take for granted as the viewer and the listener, just, oh, they're just up there talking sports. But I did a spot board. We had to do a mock spot board for a Monday Night Football game. And what the play-by-play -play guy has to write down and just memorize, I guess you can say, before a game is remarkable. I mean, the behind-the-scenes work um, that they have to do, but just in order to call a game and you know fill time, I guess you can say, how hard is prep for you and um, what goes into your specific prep? Yeah, it's certainly the most important thing that we do in this field. No, it's not the big game winning shot. 
the most critical thing we have to do is prepare. So what goes into preparation, details, digging, and, and I spend a lot of time on it. I spend at least 10 to 20 hours for a game to prepare and you, for a game that you're going to call for two. And building out those boards is huge, and you got to have that data. That's a given. For me, what does the preparation come down to? Talking to coaches, talking to players, getting Travis Steele to tell me about what Paul Scruggs and him met on earlier this week and, and kind of the, the come-to-Jesus moment that they had or uh, that, that moment in the locker room a couple games ago that turned the whole season around. You know, that, that for me, the, that's what preparation is. Preparation is relationships. Yes, it's information, it's details, it's storylines, but it's also how did this happen? Why did this happen? Who loves shoes? Uh, what's on his pregame playlist? Who is he as a person? His family and how important they are to his life. Or he lost a parent growing up, so he looked to this person for inspiration. Those are the keys to preparation. I think a lot of guys show up, they get their information, they get their boards, they fill out those boards, and they say, I'm ready to go. You're not ready until you've gotten a pulse of a team. And that's not always easy. Um, it's not, but it's, it's rewarding. And look, every coach and player watches these games, and they know, they know what's said about them. They know what's done about them. It's important that you know what you're doing and that you know your facts and that you get your facts. So for me – that's what I've learned uh, about preparation. It is not something that comes easy, but uh, making those boards, it's kind of like getting ready for an open book test. And you can't get lost in the boards. Like, like you just said, CJ, it's amazing how many things are on those boards. But when I'm calling the game, if I'm, if I'm diving deep into the boards and somebody's coming in at left guard or somebody's coming in at wide receiver and I don't see it, then the boards are worthless. You, gotta, you make the boards almost as a way to remember everything. Then you have them there for reference. You shouldn't get totally lost in those boards when you're doing a game. So the boards are so important. Preparation is everything. Preparation is 90% of what we do um, in terms of the broadcast, the nuts and bolts. The other 10 is actually broadcasting the game. So you've got to be prepared um, and ready to go. And that starts with the most important thing in our industry, and that is relationships. Um, if you don't build relationships, you're not going to go very far in this business. They are everything. They're the reason why I lived in a hostel for a summer. They're the reason why I, you make sacrifices so that you can build relationships with people and they'll remember you when you ask them for an interview or you ask them for some content. That's great. No, it seems like the preparation is, I mean, relating everything back to sports is practice. You know, you're doing this over and over again to prepare yourself for the game and in broadcasting, it's the game. And, you know, still relating things to sports and, and as an athlete, you guys watch, you know, your film after a game and yep. then you kind of go over it. And for you, do you go back and you listen to every game that you called? Is that like something you do for like a learning process or you specific ones you pick out? How does that, you know, afterwards, how does that go? Yeah, I watch game tape back. Um, it depends. If, if I'm just done with the game and I have a bunch coming up, sometimes I'll watch it back to see what it looks like. If I'm in the flow of the season, I might not have a ton of time to watch the, the tape back. But what I'll do is I'll take out isolated moments and I'll call. One thing I do do a lot of is I will talk to people that I trust in my circle 
after games and say, what did you think of this? What did you think of that? What did you like? What did you hate? What did you hate? Yeah. Um, I'm my own harshest critic. So I watch the game tape back, and there's about 15 things I want to change. But there ends up being a couple things that are extremely important for me to work on. And that's why I love this business. You can never broadcast the perfect game. You can always work on this craft. And that's what I've always tried to do is really work on things, try to get better from game to game. So you have to watch game tape back. And I do. I do it in different ways. But I also have people that have produced a lot more games than I've ever been a part of as a nice circle to say, hey, what did you think of this? What's your feedback on that? You got to get feedback. And then when you can, you have to watch your tape back because your tape is everything. It's going to tell the story. And you have to understand the fact that you're watching the game tape back, not looking for everything you did well. You're, you're trying to become great. And the only way you become great is if you look at the things that you need to work on and you say, I'm going to work on those things. You acknowledge them and work on them. So those are some of the things that I, I kind of do when I look at tape. I know they say to, you know, be humble as a, uh, as a broadcaster and to not um, look at the guys around you and be starstruck or be in awe, right? However, we're all human. I mean, even players are in starstruck and in awe of other players out there, right? Has there been a moment for you where you're, you know, making those relationships pregame or calling a game or seeing someone behind the scenes where you fangirled a little bit or you were a little starstruck at just who they were as a person? Uh, man, great question. I'll tell you what, I was working the NBA G League Winter Showcase a couple, a couple winters ago in Las Vegas. I got an assignment for NBA TV, uh, also on ESPNU, ESPN2. I was a sideline reporter and a play-by-play -play guy, but primarily sidelines that week for the NBA for this G League Showcase event. Guys trying to make it in the league. A bunch of GMs were out there. Um, I talked to, like, Sam Presti. I talked with Brad Stevens at the time. So, like, that was cool. What was probably coolest was he was there to see – he was there to see one of his guys. Um, I want to say Kenny Williams at the time. Um, or one of the Johnsons. Roy Williams is at the, the Winter Showcase – Roy Williams is there to watch these guys play, all his guys. And um, the producer comes up to me and goes, hey, you're going to go one-on-one -on -one with Roy Williams here coming up. And I get goosebumps now because Roy's retired. And I got to talk to Roy a little under two years ago in a one-on-one -on -one five-minute interview. And, you know, that, that now I look back on that and, and I think I was starstruck a little bit at the time because it's like, man, you're talking to Roy Williams here. I mean, this is, this is the, one, of the, the, one of the guys in college basketball, one of the faces of the sport. And there was just something about it now that I look back on it that he was retiring. Really cool that I got that chance to talk with him. But, man, I mean, going one-on-one -on -one with Patrick Ewing, he's become a great friend. The first time I ever met him, when you're looking up at him, and he makes me look small because he is seven foot five, or whatever, <laughs> um, you're just in awe. You're in awe of, of the man. You're in awe that he's one of the greatest players in the history of basketball. So, like, that's a time that I was starstruck. And his coach, John Thompson, who we lost this past year, I, I, I was amazed by the chance I got to talk to him because uh, I talked with him with a year to live and got to share stories and get his insights. And 
So those are times that I've been starstruck, like really, really starstruck by legends in basketball who have just made me think, wow, you know, holy cow. What I think is, is so great about all that, too, is like you could see and feel – you know, in, in this, in, in the Zoom, like your appreciation for them and, and your love. And it obviously goes and bleeds over into, you know, your job and broadcasting and what you do. And I think that's what makes you unique, um, among other things. And it's just like something that stands out to me, just, you know, just sitting here listening to you talk. Um, but with that being said, like you've you kind of moved up pretty quickly. You're obviously still young. For you, is there an end goal? Is there something that you picture as, you know, this is what I want to be? Um, and what is that? Yeah, my end goal is to be the face of a network um, and, and to be a guy who's, who's willing to do any sport. I love guys like Greg Gumbel. Greg does play-by-play on the NFL, but he hosts Selection Sunday. He's a studio host throughout March Madness. What a great gig he has. I love a guy like Mike Tirico who gets to be the studio host for the Olympics, but he gets to do play-by-play for Notre Dame football and play-by-play in a, in a bunch of different capacities. A guy like Steve Levy, who now is the voice of Monday Night Football, but was a sports center anchor and has been a sports center anchor for a long time. Kevin Burkhart's another over at Fox. He hosts the World Series studio, but he's also a play-by-play guy on the NFL. I love being a Swiss Army knife where you could be a studio host one season, you could be a reporter the next, you could be a play-by-play guy. There's not a ton of roles out there like that. You got to work and you got to earn your stripes. But my, my goal in this is to be the face of a major sports network um, and I've been able to cut my teeth um, with Fox, and I'm really grateful to be a part of their college sports programming, and I'm excited here for the future as, as time goes along and would love to stay a part of their family. Uh, but but it, it really is to be the voice of a major sports network. That's the dream goal, um, and I hope that, uh, that, it can, that it can happen. And I'm, I'm never going to stop believing in it, never going to stop trusting it, uh, I'm 26 right now. I'm a lucky 26-year-old and, and looking forward to what's ahead, and I, I'm excited about it, guys. Got you. Sean, this is going to be my, my last question before the last segment. Uh, I don't know if you have anything left. Yeah, I got uh, one more. One more, for sure. I need to ask. All right, so, so for sure. So, got you. Um, shout out once again to Mike Tirico, fellow orange right there. So, the go Yes. Yes. Love, love Tirico, along with the long list of uh, new house alums we have. But – You've done a lot so far. I mean, obviously you started in Ignatius and called some, obviously you said the state championship season, which was remarkable. Um, then you did a lot of work at Seton Hall over in Fox Sports as well. For any young broadcasters, anybody in the showbiz that's trying to get to, you know, to where you're at and even higher, what is just a couple of tips and advice that you have for them? Because I don't think people realize how hard of a business it is. It's subjective at times, not objective. Like what are some of the things that you've learned that you will be willing to give advice to others? Especially those say, yes. say yes, say yes, say yes, say yes to every opportunity you're given, no matter what opportunity it is. Be willing to put the work in uh, when you're given that opportunity. You might not think that something matters, but it does. There's someone that's always watching you. Be ready for the moment because you do not know when your number is going to get called in that game or for that big role. So say yes, work hard, and connect with people. Don't just show up to a game and go on the air. Talk to the coaches. Talk to the players. Talk to other people in the press box. Guess what? All those people are going to matter in some way, shape, or form. If you work on a game and you work with a producer and an analyst and a technical guy, um, a guy that lays down the extension cords for the broadcast, 
the facilities manager at the venue that you're at. Talk to them. Because they talk to your producer, they talk to your bosses at some point, and guess what? You never know what could be said about you. Say to yourself, if I left a room right now, what would they say about me in the room? You want them to say good things. So bust your ass, say yes to opportunities, be yourself, don't get upset at feedback. If somebody's willing to give you feedback, take the feedback. That means they care about you enough that they gave you some feedback. Take that as a compliment and work on it. And remember, relish in the journey. There's going to be mornings that you wake up and you say, man, this is hard. Or, God, I'm tired. Remember, remember that if you left or remember that if you gave up, there would be somebody ready. Everybody's replaceable. Everybody's replaceable. So don't ever take the moment for granted. Relish in the journey, work your ass off, say yes, and control the controllables. And remember, when somebody gets a call for a game broadcast, there's only one broadcaster allowed. It's not an indictment on your ability. Just keep working. You'll get that call, and when you do, be ready for it. That's, I mean, Sean, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to put the pads on and go out there and play. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say I'm putting my St. Bernadette Bulldog uniform back on. We're going to head out to, uh, to, to Westlake and play. But, no, that's sure. – not only is that great advice for broadcasting, but, uh, you know, in life in general. I mean, that's great stuff, and we appreciate that. But my final question, it's a Big East question, and, and you can answer it as honest as you want. Um, of the head coaches, you know, there's been turnover um, this past year. I mean, of the head coaches, who, in your opinion, has the, you know, the best personality after a loss or a win? Like, you're excited to, you know, we have, like, Coach Hurley, Shaka now coming into the, into the conference. Like, who, who is one or a few guys that, you know, you're excited to, to interview or talk to after a game? Well, uh, in terms of interviews, you brought up two – you brought up a charismatic individual in, in Coach Hurley, uh, and it's, it's been interesting to have Dan Hurley enter the Big East because I haven't gotten a chance to interact with him a ton in person, but he is a character, and I love that about him. He's certainly got a vibrant personality. Ed Cooley is a no-brainer uh, because Ed Cooley is just a, a, a ball of energy. He is one of a kind. Uh, there's no question about that. Ed is one of a kind. Greg McDermott is a great guy. Uh, and, and a really good coach and somebody that um, I've loved interviewing, talking to, and, and I always look forward to getting his postgame thoughts. I think he's always enlightening. Um, I always love talking to Travis Steele, actually, at shoot-arounds because he's got his, uh, his family there with him. Oh, yeah. uh, his boys are shooting hoops, and uh, he's always candid with me, always gives me some really good stuff. He and the Butler head coach, Laval Jordan, are, are – fantastic to talk with just good guys down to earth people uh, who not only are head coaches but they don't take themselves too seriously either and so there's a bunch of really good coaches in this league but um, I'm interested to see what Shaka Smart does at Marquette. Marquette is kind of a sleeping program right now they they haven't been able to do what they've planned on doing and what they plan on doing and what they plan on doing is winning NCAA tournament games Shaka Smart can get them back into that category, but he's got a lot of work in front of him. I'm interested to see how he handles it. But those are some of the guys that I love talking to. Uh, Ed Cooley is really a, a, a fascinating character. If you've never talked with him, 
He's a, he is one of a kind. Yeah, no, that's a great response. And I think that just it adds to the Big East resume is the coaches, Dude. the coaches itself. You know, it speaks for itself. And looking forward to obviously seeing you this year and seeing a bunch of fans in, in seats, hopefully. But I think we're ready to get to the rapid fire real quick. Uh, our last section before we let you go. All right. All right, let's do it. Ready? CJ, you want to start? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll start it off. Just first thing that comes to mind, uh, hardest sport to call. Wow, hardest sport to call. Uh, tennis. Aside from your own, what other podcasts or podcasts are you listening to, like, on a daily basis or weekly basis? Um, Browns fans won't like this, but I do listen to The Herd. Um, I listen to – I listen to part of my take. Um, let's see. What else do I like listening to? Um, I like listening to Baseball Tonight podcast as well. I'm a baseball guy, so I'll listen to that as well. So those are a couple of them. And I'm going to steal CJ. Like, uh, we, we didn't talk about the Browns at all, and we're, we're all three people from Cleveland. We didn't ask any questions, so I got to put a timeout on the – uh, on the rapid fire real quick. And I just need what, – what, what do you see in the Browns this year? What's, what's your outcome? No, I see a team that can win the Super Bowl. I really do. I think that this, this is a team that's going to be very special. Um, so here's the thing. Offensively, they have one of the best offenses in football. They have the best running back duo in the league. If the wide receivers are healthy, their wide receiver group is, their best, is the best wide receiver room in the league. Yeah. The offensive line is the best offensive line in the league. Mm -hmm. If the quarterback just plays solid enough football, the offense is going to be one of the best in the league. Defensively, the question for me is, will the secondary stay healthy? There's some guys that are dinged up. Um, and will the linebacker core hold their own? Now, when you play a 4-2-5 like the Browns are going to play, the two being the linebackers – okay, they're not as significant in terms of the numbers game, but they're going, to be, they're going to have to be good. The Browns did a bad job tackling last year in the middle of the field and covering the middle of the field. There's a lot on the plate of Jeremiah Owusu-Koromora to perform here as he heads into his rookie season. JLK's got pressure on him, and I'm just, I, think, I think he's going to be able to handle it, but it's a lot for a rookie to just be inserted into things, and I think he's going to be right there getting a lot of snaps starting week one. I like the acquisition of Anthony Walker. Um, I thought that that was a quality pickup. But the Browns certainly do have still some questions to answer there in their pass coverage in that secondary. There's a reason why you bring in um, John Johnson and Troy Hill. Those are quality signings. I hope Ronnie Harrison could stay healthy. Um, and, and, and look, the other question is, will Greg Newsom live up to expectations? So for JOK and Newsom, how well do they fit in? If they fit in pretty well, the Browns have the potential to be a, a really good defense. They can only go one way um, in terms of their pass coverage, because last year this was a team that just defensively – I wasn't sure what was going on at times. Um, I'm so glad I don't have to watch Andrews and Dejo ever again. <laughs> Um, all, I think all three of us would agree with that. Yeah, I, I don't know what he was doing. I still don't know what he was doing. So I'm, I'm optimistic on the Browns. I really do think that this is a team that's destined to be really good. Um, the kicking situation, obviously a slight concern. But overall, 
on both sides of the football. And uh, Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney, it feels like a match made in heaven. I'm, I am pumped for this Brown season. And I do think that there is a decent chance that they go into Kansas City week one and surprise uh, the Chiefs and the rest of the NFL. Oh, I love that. Why can't we start week one tomorrow, man? I love that. I'm I, all know, I want to kick off now. <laughs> uh, I love that wholeheartedly. Uh, going back to the segment, Mount Rushmore of uh, broadcasters. Your personal one, not what do you think the consensus thing is. Just who you're top uh, Mount Rushmore. Okay. Iron Eagle. I think he's spectacular. Burn Lundquist. Everybody remembers him from Happy Gilmore, but he's an amazing broadcaster. That's two. <laughs> Uh, Bob Lee, who's retired now but hosted Outside the Line Sports Center, was such a good broadcaster through the years. I love Bob Lee. That would be three. Man, um, a fourth. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> I'll, throw, I'll throw Gus Johnson on there because he's so original. He's so unique. He's so fun. I'll throw Gus on there. It's a great list. Uh, Gus and Clatt, by the way. I just love that combo. But love, that. love that group. <laughs> Um, favorite movie of all time? Shawshank Redemption. Okay. <laughs> the best. Got you. Uh, give me three mentors you have in the business. Um, great question. Let's see here. Well, Bob Lee is one of them. I actually have to get back in touch with Bob. Bob's a great mentor to me. He went to Seton Hall. Uh, he's a terrific, terrific guy. Uh, he's one of them. Um, another guy is, uh, Tim Brando. Tim calls college football for Fox, uh, has done college basketball too. Tim's been awesome, awesome, awesome to me. Um, and then there's been so many different guys who've given me advice. Brandon Gordon, you might know Brandon, he's the voice of Madden, but he also does a bunch of football. He's a great guy. A guy named Kevin Kugler, who's always been helpful. And then a, um, a woman in our field named Lisa Byington, who's been tremendous to me. Lisa's really climbed the charts. She, she just did the Olympics. She does a bunch of basketball. Those are some of the people who have been really helpful to me. Uh, and then a Fox Sports producer named Steve Shear, who does a bunch of stuff. Steve's been so good to me uh, in all this. Bill Raftery, Gus Johnson, Rob Stone um, have all been great. Seth Greenberg over at ESPN has always been very helpful to me. So those are some of the guys that have really, really been good to me. Shout out to Gus Johnson and Denzel Ward, by the way. But there you go, Flair. <laughs> what you, you kind of gave some advice earlier. And, um, what is the best advice that you've received? Whew. The best advice that I've received. Um, the best advice that I've received is to never get upset at failure. It's okay to fail. It's okay to fail. I think we live in a society today where if you fail, everybody's on you, you're on yourself, you're, you go crazy. There's going to be a tomorrow. Right. It's okay to fail. Get up, make the most of it, learn. The better you learn from your losses, the better you're going to be long-term. So learn from those losses. Learn from those moments where you need to get better and adapt. If you mope and if you sit and if you don't try to get better, you're going to be stuck in the mud. So learn from, the, learn from your failure. It's okay to fail. 
favorite college basketball team to watch, excluding anyone in the Big East or Ohio State? <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. I love watching Bob Huggins' West Virginia teams play. I just think it's fantastic the way that they play, the style that they play. I would go with West Virginia. Um, I love the way that the, the Mountaineers play. West Virginia would be one. Um, what would be another that I really enjoy watching? Because I, I, I do want to give you an interesting team. Let's see. I'll tell you what. Um, I, I've really liked um, watching Belmont play. Um, in recent years, they've had some quality teams. They've had some teams that have made the tournament. Uh, they're, they're a really good mid-major. Uh, Well-coached. They, they do all the little things right. Uh, so those are a couple of teams I'll shout out there. But love West Virginia. I love Big Monday in the Big 12. Uh, and with the Big 12 changing, hopefully it stays. But uh, Allen Fieldhouse, man, love watching Kansas play, but love watching West Virginia. They're, they've been so fun to watch. Deuce McBride this past year had me in awe. Yeah, no, West Virginia, Press Virginia, great program. They got, I mean, I feel like they get a bunch of Ohio guys, actually. Yeah, they Obviously, do. Deuce McBride, and I believe a kid from uh, from Akron, Seth, yes. his last name, but it will be there. Um, great answers. Last question for me. If you could go – you were just coming back from vacation, but if you could go one place in the world um, for a week, weekend, whatever, where would you go and what would you pick? <laughs> um, wow. I guess the place that I've been, it, it would be Puddin' Bay, Ohio, uh, because what happens at Puddin' Bay stays at Puddin' Bay. Uh, and I like that about Puddin' Bay. Um, man, I want to go to Italy so bad, guys, um, because I think I would just adore everything about it, uh, the fact that they have pizza for breakfast. So I, I, I would say it. Can't go wrong with pizza and wine. That's no, all you can. No, you can't. <laughs> Last question from me. Uh, you got a you got a dinner with uh, three people dead or alive with anyone in history. Who would it be? <laughs> wow, I haven't thought about this question in a while. It's been a while. Dead or alive? Um, Kobe Bryant would be one. He'd be one. Um, I would be fascinating to sit with with Tiger Woods at a dinner. Um, so he would be two. Um, because I just think his career arc is so fascinating. People don't know if he's going to golf again right now. We haven't heard much since the accident. Uh, I assume he will, but that's amazing when you think about it. That would be two. God. Um, <laughs> number three. I grew up, I loved uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, so Regis Philbin. <laughs> Those are great answers. There's been a wide spectrum of answers on that question. We've had wide. Presidents, we've had like like current athletes. So I love and now a game show host. So I love that. Love well, that. you think about think about Kobe and Tiger for a moment. Uh, it's so sad that Kobe is no longer on this earth. It stinks. It's it's so tragic, um, heartbreaking. I think he would say this. There's a world where Tiger Woods is not on this earth anymore. Absolutely. So uh, it, having a chance to sit down with both of them if you ever had the chance, it would be amazing to talk about life yeah. uh, because they both have seen the, the highest of achievements, the lowest of lows, all those things. Right. I think that's great. And if I, I just recently watched the Tiger Woods documentary on a, uh, HBO last week, and it was 
it's up there with the Jordan documentary, probably right, you know, right there with each other. Um, obviously recommend to anybody, but John, I appreciate you coming on. We, I know we both do. Um, I know you're a busy man. So we appreciate you taking some time. You gave us some great stuff. Um, we're excited to get this out there, but most importantly, we appreciate the time and I look forward to seeing you throughout the season. Yeah, guys, let's do this again. Thank you very much for having me. Hope you guys stay well and go Browns. Yes, sir. Go, go Browns and have a great year calling the games in the Big East. I can't wait to – obviously, I watched the Big East for Sean's sake, but now i got another reason to tune in, so I love it. <laughs> Thanks, CJ. Thanks, Absolutely. CJ and Sean. Good luck here in the Big East this year. Thanks Thank again, guys.